This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Is the Word of God absolutely true? Is the Word of God, the Bible, absolutely true? That's the question before us here today on Viewpoint, and our viewpoint concerning this may very well determine destiny. The Bible says this, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto those who put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove you, and you be found a liar. That's one of the passages that the Lord gave me to memorize about 35, 40 years ago, when I was still practicing law. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto those who put their trust in him. How can we put our trust in a God who doesn't give us a pure word? That's the issue before us here today on Viewpoint. The issue really is trust. And we can get all stirred up about this, that, or the other discussion, but bottom line Can you trust God? Can we trust God? And if so, can we trust his word? That's the big issue today here on Viewpoint. So I'm glad that you've joined us. This conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And by the way, how can you be convicted by the word of God if you don't believe what it says? And what if you decide to believe those things only that go along with your preconceived notions or the notions of your culture or the notions of your particular pastor or whatever? How can we say that we really trust God? That's the issue. And quite frankly, as we're sitting here on the near edge of the second coming, that may be the biggest issue of our time. Because if we don't trust God and we don't believe what he says, in effect, we are unbelievers or disbelievers. And if you were to read Revelation chapter 21, you would find that God doesn't look favorably on people who are unbelievers or disbelievers. You say, well, I believe in the Bible. Yeah, well, so does the devil. He even quoted it to Jesus. That's right, the devil quoted the Bible to Jesus. You can read about it there in the book of Matthew. Right after Jesus' baptism, he was taken into a a challenging time in the wilderness for 40 days, and Satan quoted the Bible to him. And Jesus had to discern the understanding of what God meant in his word. Question, are you able to do that? Today we talk about the word inerrancy. Our guest today says you better learn this word. Well, we're going to talk about this word here today on Viewpoint. And as I indicated to our special guest, George Shamblin, they say that fools rush in where angels fear to tread. And for some, the very word inerrancy is a fool's errand because It leads us into so many questions, so many issues that trouble our churches today and Christians and their pastors. So you can see why. We would say, you know, this is a big challenge here today on Viewpoint, and I'm going to ask some questions of our guest today that may trouble you. I already warned him in advance because that's what I used to do as a trial lawyer on cross-examination. 
And so we're going to do a little cross-examination here, not from a malignant standpoint, but also from the standpoint the truth, the absolute truth of what God is saying and how he wants us to understand his word that we call the Bible or the scriptures. So, Without any further ado, I want to uh, reintroduce to you George Shamblin, our special guest today from Alabama. And uh, George, it's good to have you on the program again. Charles, very nice to be on and very kind of you to include me to to your listening audience. Well, the interesting thing is, George, that uh, you're speaking uh, Southern. And uh, I don't recall anything in the Bible that talks about speaking Southern. So do you really believe in the inerrancy of the Bible, or can you speak Southern? Can you speak Southern California, Southern Alabama, uh, Northern Massachusetts? I mean, is there anything wrong with those different inflections? Well, you know, I'm in the heart of the SEC, and I know uh, you're closer to the Big Ten or the ACC, or we've got somebody out in the Big 12 and so forth, I try to avoid all such conversations at this time. So I better refrain (laughs) from answering. You know, you are the second pastor to plead the Fifth Amendment on this program this week. (laughs) 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 What a (laughs) cop-out. You know what? Here's the problem, and we're joking about it here, but the interesting thing is that many pastors are pleading the Fifth. They're pleading the fifth with regard to what the Bible says, what the Bible means, and when it comes to conflicts between what the culture is telling us is right and what the Bible says is right, pastors are pleading the Fifth Amendment. They don't want to talk about it because they're afraid. They're afraid of the people rather than God. What do you make of that? You know, I think we all appreciate when somebody speaks from a place of conviction and when somebody stands on principle, even though we disagree with that person, I think everybody's bothered when somebody says, well, I don't know. And it's like, look, pick sides, one or the other. But that, that kind of middle of the road approach, uh, just kind of man up, you know, mm. and proclaim, here's where I stand, stake a flag in one camp or the other and stick with it. Yeah. I think there's honor in that, and you're right. I think a lot of pastors have found that by not taking a stand, that is taking a stand. Exactly. It is taking a stand. It's just taking a stand for milky toast uh, uh, faith, and uh, there's no courage in that. There's no conviction in it, and the reality is it is uh, destroying authority. And interestingly, uh, as the people in Israel heard Jesus speak, they made an observation that I think is important for us as we press on here today on Viewpoint concerning this matter of whether we can trust the Bible, whether it's inerrant and so on. And uh, here's what they said. They said of Jesus, he speaks with authority and not as the scribes. Now, the scribes and the the Pharisees and so on, the the, uh, uh, rabbis, they spoke the Bible, but they spoke about the Bible. Jesus spoke the Bible, both in quoting it and in applying it, so they were able to discern 
a radical difference between Jesus' approach and the rest of the religious leaders, because Jesus spoke with authority and not as the scribes. Isn't that word authority the real issue with regard to the word inerrancy? It, it absolutely is. And when I say I'm speaking by authority, the question is by whom's authority? And in this situation, we say by the authority of the king. I am sharing a message that he has made and said and delivered to you. I'll say I do a lot of work in Cuba. I do a lot of work in Honduras and other countries. And just like an ambassador goes to a foreign country, they don't speak on their own behalf. Exactly. They don't offer up their own opinions or thoughts. They say, We'll be right back after this. Ambassador is the word. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Think about it, my friend. An ambassador is sent by the king or the ruling authority of his country. If that ambassador does not speak accurately the message of the king or the ruling authority of that country, what do you think is going to happen to that ambassador? He's going to be recalled. In other words, he is not accurately delivering the word of the authority that granted him or delegated to him the authority as an ambassador. So think about that when we think about the word of God. God gives us, as the creator and sustainer of the universe through Jesus Christ, gives us the authority to proclaim his word. But if we don't do it accurately, because we're afraid, We're afraid of what somebody might think. We're afraid of how it might affect my ministry or whether it might affect the growth of my church or the effect of the flow of money into my church for the building program, whatever it happens to be. Am I in danger of being recalled? Or have I actually begun expressing the authority of another kingdom, a different kingdom altogether? These are serious questions, and we need to talk about that with our special guest, George Shamblin, here today. And I'm so glad that he mentioned the word ambassador before the break. So I want to make his book available to you. Uh, It's a simple book and one that needs to be dealt with. He's right. We better learn this word. We better learn its implications. Inerrancy, the book $12 on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, or you can write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Inerrancy. That's the title of the book. Is Jesus the only way to heaven? What should we believe about gender and sexuality? What part should the church play in politics or social issues? These are just a few, our guest says, of the many questions being asked by Christians, the spiritually curious and the openly antagonistic alike. 
So the question is, is Christianity a buffet that we can pick and choose a Christian cafeteria? We can pick and choose what we want to believe. Or does God tell us what we need to believe if we profess to be his followers? And if so, are we willing to do so no matter the cost? That might be what the cost of discipleship is really all about, friends. But today we talk about the authority of Scripture. George Shamblin, our guest, and I'm glad that uh, you're joining us, George. Now, in your book, you recount a uh, message by J.I. Packer uh, back in 1990, which was uh, three years before we started this radio program. Here's what he said. He, very famous uh, Christian pastor and author. He recounted what he called a 30 years war over the inerrancy of the Bible. He traced his involvement in this war in the American context back to a conference held in Wenham, uh, Massachusetts in 1966, which was the year my wife and I were married when he confronted some professors from evangelical institutions who now declined to affirm the full truth of Scripture. That was nearly 50 years ago. Well, it's more than that now because my wife and I have just been married 57. And the war over the truthfulness of the Bible is still not over, not by a long shot. From time to time, the dust has settled in one arena only for the battle to erupt in another. In the 1970s, the most visible battles were fought over Fuller Theological Seminary. Ah, that was just two miles from my law office. And I spoke every month at a location right next door to Fuller Theological Seminary. And a fellow that I went to sixth grade with became the provost of Fuller Theological Seminary. So I know a bit about Fuller Theological Seminary. And then there was the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. By the 1980s, the most heated controversy centered in the Southern Baptist Convention and its seminaries. In 1978, a large number of leading evangelicals met and adopted a definitive statement that became known as the Chicago Statement on Bible Inerrancy. Many thought the battles were over, <coughs> excuse me, or at least subsiding. Sadly, the debate over the inerrancy of the Bible continues, and as a matter of fact, there seems to be a renewed effort to forge an evangelical identity apart from the claim that the Bible is totally truthful and without error. But, George, you say none of this is new. From the days of the Apostle Paul (coughs) until now, no Christian pastor, church, or denomination can afford to stray from the authority of God's Word even in the slightest. I think that gives a good summary of where we are, where we've been, and where we're going here. So, you wrote this book, Inerrancy. You better learn this word. Uh, Why did you decide to write this book when you knew from the get-go it might get you in trouble? Well, I'm happy to answer that. I was at a home improvement store, and a lady came up to me, and she said, George, for years, we've been so confused. On the one hand, the church we go to says they believe the Bible. They say they're Christian. It's a well-known denomination. And yet, they keep teaching certain things, or they keep supporting ideas or, or policies that are completely against Scripture. 
And she said, finally, my son, who came home from Auburn University, he's at the campus ministry, and he told me, Mom, there's this word that will explain everything. And she said, George, I don't know if you've heard this word, but it's called inerrancy. (laughs) And I said, yes, I've heard it. And seriously, the point is, if we can't get on the same page with that word, inerrancy, that all of Scripture is true and reliable and trustworthy, we're never going to agree on all the downstream issues. We've got to square up first and foremost. Are we on the same page in regards to the foundation of the faith? One of the things that I noticed in your book, that which is a very serious discussion, is that you have used a number of cartoons in the uh, the book, which uh, you know it help it helps the medicine to go down a little bit easier. But one of those uh, had to do with Jonah and the whale. And uh, here is what the teacher wrote on the uh, chalkboard. It's impossible for a whale to swallow a human. My response to that is, but it's not impossible a human to swallow a whale. That is a whale of a story or a whale of an untruth about what God has said. And unfortunately, we have believers, professing believers, and their pastors all over the country and around the world who are swallowing a whale, a whale of untruth, as they choose to do. Amazing, isn't it? It, it is. And, you know, I'm, I'm right here in the, in the heart of the Bible Belt in yep. Birmingham, Alabama. From our office where I work, we've got a ministry here in one mile is a church. It's one of a, the first churches in downtown. And the poor fellow recently stood up, and I saw this online, and he said, let's pray the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, saying, our Father, Mother, who art in heaven. And it's, it's almost like, poor fella, do you not realize what you just said? On the one hand, you said, let's pray the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, but then you threw in this absolutely absurd notion of God being a father-mother. Yeah, well, the Church of England and its bishops are intent on doing exactly that and degenderizing the Bible because they say, you know, it's just too bad. It's offending people. Uh, God is not a he. Uh, We're we're just going to use some sort of a generic term. And this is the spirit everywhere now. It, it is, and you just want to say, now help me understand, number one, where are you going with this, and what's your point? It, of course it's wrong, and we totally disagree, but I, I just I have to tell you, in these last four or five or so years, you just shake your head and say, this is lunacy. However, one good thing is happening. We are starting to see more and more of the wheat and the chaff. We're starting to see the remnant who true believers are that love the Lord in spirit and in truth, they accept all of him, all of his word, that's becoming more apparent, which is actually a good thing. Yeah, it is a good thing, and uh, we're going to see that as that remnant, which is an increasing small group of people, uh, begins to be identified and realize uh, what's happening with regard to the authority of the word of God and as it impinges upon our lives, we're going to find that that remnant truly is a remnant. The Bible calls it a remnant. Jesus said, straight is the gate, narrow is the way, and precious few there be that find it. But broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there will be that go in thereat. And I think a lot of it has to do 
with whether or not we accept what God has said in his word or not. When we're told not to add unto the scriptures, lest he be reprove us, and we be find a liar, liar, in the book of Revelation it says, and don't take anything away from the scripture. So it's not just adding to it, it's taking something away that also brings God's disapproval, doesn't it? It really does. And, and you just went to the end of scripture, and earlier you talked about the temptations where the enemy twists and contorts scripture in, in a perverted way. And if we go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, the very first thing we hear of the serpent, the very first words this crafty serpent says, is, did God really say? Isn't that, those are the three most important words in the Bible. Hath God said. Three words. And it triggered sin. It triggered rebellion because it gave man the ostensible authority to superimpose his own viewpoint over what God said. And, and you know, we've gone from, did God really say, or in your translation, half God said, mm-hmm. and now people are saying, oh, no, God didn't say. That <laughs> yeah. This is wrong, and that's wrong, and you're like, he most certainly did. It couldn't have been any more clear. Okay, now, I'm going to begin to shift this discussion on its axis a little bit, okay? We've been laying a foundation here so that people can really understand and kind of get into the conversation a little bit. So, my father was a pastor for 50 years. And uh, he was a pastor in uh, several evangelical, even holiness denominations. So that was my background. My father used to say, I believe the Bible from cover to cover and the cover too. Have you heard that phrase? I, I have. Okay. Sure. I believe the Bible from cover to cover and the cover too. The problem with those words is that's an expression of intent that I take the Bible to be authoritative. The problem with it is that pastors, human beings, superimpose their own thinking and viewpoint over those words. So that, and let me give you some illustrations. You're in the Bible Belt, the South. For the past 25 years, the divorce rate in the Bible Belt of America has exceeded the nation as a whole by 50%. Now, obviously, if that's the Bible Belt, and this is uh, composed of Christians and Christian pastors, there's something profoundly wrong with the thinking and the preaching because god says i hate divorce right i hate it so one day we had a guy who was reputed to be a a prophet type in our own home and he sat there in our kitchen and began to brag about the divorce that he had had and a remarriage when his spouse was still living and telling us it was an answer to prayer and god's perfect will for him now, how do you do that? How do you make that kind of a statement in the name of God and with the authority of Scripture when it's exactly contrary to what Jesus and the Apostle Paul said? How do you do that? Yeah, uh, Paul, at the very end of his life, 
he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering at the time of my departure has come. In other words, I've just got a short amount of time to live. The sun is setting on my life. And he said, preach the word because the time will come where people no longer wanting to endure sound doctrine will seek out, it actually says, accumulate teachers in accordance to their own desire and wanting to have their ears tickled. So when you have an individual like that, I assure you, uh, he's not only, you know, coming up with, with his own ideas, but there's going to be a church somewhere that pats him on the back yep. and says, you got it. You're right. Way to go. Okay. Well, and the people are going to flock there. They're going to flock there because he's going to tell them what they want to hear. That's the broad way, friends. That's the broad way that Jesus talked about. The book, Inerrancy, $12 on our website, saveus.org. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Again, today on Viewpoint, we're talking about a subject that um, is very difficult for a lot of people to handle. Very difficult for a lot of pastors to handle because it causes us to face issues that we prefer not to face. It causes us to make statements concerning what we believe or don't believe that many of us are not wanting to state in public. And there are reasons for that. Let me tell you what one of those reasons is. Jesus spoke about it. The Bible says that there were many religious leaders, rabbis in the synagogue, even of the Sanhedrin, that believed in Jesus, but. Now, here's the, we got a lot of big buts in the church today. Okay, here it is. But they would not acknowledge him publicly because they love the praises of men more than the praises of God. That's why so many will not teach or preach what the Bible has to say in whole. That's why. Because humankind loves the praises of men more than the praises of God. Jesus dealt with that directly. You'll remember he had... Who knows how many followers? We know at one point that he fed 5,000 men plus women and children where he was speaking and another 4,000. We know that. So we had a lot of followers. And then we know at one point that he had 500 folk that are following him. So he turned to them and he wasn't interested in how many were following him. He was interested in why they were following him. And so he said, you know what? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have any part in what I'm doing. 
Now, instead of asking Jesus what he meant by that, they decided to interpret it themselves. And so they all left him. Every single one left him. So there were disciples that were left, the 12. And so Jesus turned to them and he said, are you going to leave too? And they said, well, where are we going to find the words of eternal life? So they hung around, except for one that betrayed him. Does that sound like a remnant to you? Twelve, maybe eleven, out of thousands and thousands and thousands who were following him. But why were they following him? Were they following him because they wanted to hear truth or because they wanted to see miracles? Question, do you love the truth? Because Jesus said, if you'll continue in my word, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. It doesn't say set you free. It says make you free. Hmm. Now, with that having been said, what about this word inerrancy? Why is this important? Francis Schaeffer, back in the 1970s, said this, any denomination or church group that forsakes inerrancy will end up shipwrecked. It is impossible to prevent the surrender of other important doctrinal teachings of the word of God when inerrancy is gone. So, what does inerrancy mean, George? It, it means an unwillingness to compromise on the finer points of our faith, on the tough passages of Scripture. There are tough passages. They're difficult to mm-hmm. understand right. passages. But one of the things Francis Schaeffer was getting at, if you begin to make concessions, let's say one little concession, then it's a matter of time before the second concession is knocking on the door. You make one little compromise, another compromise is knocking on the door. Yeah, That's how the churches have gotten to the place they are now, where they accept anything, everything, everybody. It didn't happen overnight. It started one little concession at a, at a time to get churches in the mess that they're in. So when the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, don't be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor those who practice homosexual so, homosexuality and so on are going to inherit the kingdom of God. How is it we can say we believe the Bible from cover to cover and come away with the conclusion, well, it's okay to have premarital sex, it's okay to hang out together and cohabit, it's okay to uh, uh, divorce your spouse and get remarried when your spouse is still living, when both Jesus and the Apostle Paul said otherwise. How do we make those conclusions? I, I tell you, I, I think people wanting to hear what, what they want to hear, and sometimes there are things that we need to hear. I'll give you an example. I had a sweet couple come to me and ask me to perform the wedding ceremony. We spent time together, and Chuck just... In my mind, I thought, well, of course, they're not living together. That's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. My wife said, you better check, because times are different now. And so I <laughs> asked them, and they were. And it was like, y'all, why did you ever think that would be okay? But I didn't say that. Mm-hmm. I basically said, 
y'all are entrusting me to oversee and, you know, sanction the most important day of your life. And I'm going to ask y'all to trust me before then. That is not God's best for y'all to live together. The scriptures are clear. It, it, y'all have to move apart. And I think this is God's best for you. I think it's a great opportunity to say, we want to go into our marriage with the best chance of success possible and to honor the Lord. And so they did so. My point is we were able, it wasn't because I didn't like them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because I said, uh, Hey, get your sin together and then we'll talk. It was because I want God's best for you. And it's not just living together. It's all sorts of sexual things. All kinds of things. Just... Yeah, it's all kinds of things. And uh, the unfortunate thing is, and this is what I've discovered, and I, I grew up in the church from coast to coast, involved in 10 different denominations in different ways. So I pretty well have a, a good hand on what's going on in the uh, the broader Christian community. And... Uh, One of the things that distresses me is when people, pastors who are preaching inerrancy and making a big fuss over inerrancy, will develop doctrines such as cessationism, which is totally contrary to the words of the Apostle Paul that they say they believe in is the foundation for the doctrine of the church. If they would say, well, you know, um, I have a hard time accepting that those things are continuing, and here's why. That's one thing, but that's not what they do. They come out and openly preach against it. That is radically contrary to the very doctrine of of inerrancy that they're touting. Now we're starting to get into difficult territory, aren't we? That's all right. Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) Are you going to plead the fifth on this one? Not no. That was college football. Uh, When it comes to scripture, (laughs) college football. Now that's a that's a good analogy for the scripture. It's rough and tumble sometimes. In other words, (laughs) okay. Well. Here's another one, and this one is so practical, and it it really isn't subject to interpretation, except unless I don't want to agree with it. And that is, Jesus said, if you will not forgive others their trespasses against you, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Now, did Jesus mean that, or didn't he? I tell you, he, he he absolutely means that. He means when he says the verse you quoted earlier, way the truth and life, no mm-hmm. one comes to the Father except through me. Yeah. I mean, we can just go through all of these. Uh, what about when Jesus said, those who are weary and heavy laden, that if we come to him, we find rest? He didn't say, if you come mostly to me. Or when he said, take up your cross of all me, he didn't say, take up 99% of your cross or 98 Nope, we take up the cross and follow him wholly, completely. We don't accept 99% of Jesus or 99% of what he says. We have to accept 100%. Now, that means, like you mentioned earlier, sometimes we have to say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to work through this. Lord, will you meet me 
with this story or this passage that's really hard for me, that's okay. The, the Lord, uh, I, I believe, honors that. But it's when people say, I refuse to believe. Right. Unless God proves himself, that's a totally different Exactly. Story. Okay, well, that brings up another word. And, uh, you know, as a, as a former lawyer, uh, words count. And uh, arguments are over words. The Bible makes it very clear. It's called the word of God. It's not called a word of God. It's called the word of God, isn't it? The definite article. Okay. So when we try to say, well, this is just a word of God, and then we can take it or leave it, that's a problem for us, a real problem for us. And you call that cafeteria Christianity. Picking and choosing, it, it feels good, but... It isn't good because every word of God is pure. Now, some would say, though, well, but not everything in the Bible is the word of God. Their viewpoints or opinions, uh, responses of, say, uh, the apostles, uh, there are the gospels. Uh, and it's like a, um, for instance, if I were to, deal with a case involving a severe auto accident in an intersection. And I would get all the witnesses that I could together. And those witnesses would testify as to what they saw, what they understood that, that uh, the cause of that accident to be and how it happened. Now they might be have, have differences in certain facts, certain points of view and so on. How does that relate, then, to the Gospels? Because there are aspects in the Gospels, even concerning the uh, certain facts concerning the resurrection, resurrection morning, that are different, seem to be different. Uh, how are we to respond to those kinds of things? I want you to consider that answer until after this break. We'll be right back, friends. Inerrancy, that's what we're talking about here. The book on our website, saveus.org. $12 to put in your hands. Stay tuned. These are controversial and difficult subjects. We'll be back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. We're dealing with some difficult uh, subjects here today on Viewpoint, particularly around the word inerrancy. Uh, what does it mean? Does it mean the Bible is infallible? Uh, does it mean it's uh, uh, truthful in all of its words? 
Does it mean that there are differences of viewpoint that uh, we should be able as human beings to superimpose upon the Bible? What does it really mean? Well, we threw out a very difficult subject uh, before the break to our special guest, George Shamblin. George, do you dare to respond to it? Before certain, you know, immediately when you said about the resurrection and some of the different accounts, how do we put these together? If one account is saying an angel said mm-hmm. in the tomb and another account says there were two angels, well, which one is it? Yeah, it, it, it's both, because clearly there were two angels, but only one of them spoke. It's little nuances like that that people say, you see, there you go, there's a contradiction. Listen, if you and I saw and used the example of a car wreck at an intersection, uh, we're going to have different angles of what we see. But when you put all the accounts together, it's a very clear and concise uh, record of here's what's happened. We just had different eyes from different angles, but this is trustworthy a trustworthy account of what took place. Okay, you just repeated this word again, trust or trustworthy. That is really the issue, isn't it? It is. Do I trust the the Bible or not? Is the Bible the expression of God's will and word for us, or is it not? And if it is, and sets forth the qualifications and the, uh, uh, the issue of salvation, then... How can I claim to be saved and believe one part when I don't believe the rest? Isn't that really one of the main issues? It it really is. Let's say, for instance, in my marriage, and I said to my wife, uh, Jill, you can be, I I will be 99% faithful to you. And and you can trust. (laughs) You can trust me. (laughs) On 99%. But it's like, wait a minute. What about that 1%? You know? No, I have to be willing to say, and when I said I do and made my vows, that, Jill, you can trust me to be faithful to you. Not 99%. That wasn't my vow. My vow was everything, sickness, health, better or for worse. It's the same thing with Scripture. Jesus never calls us to accept 99% of him or most of what he says. It's all of him and all of what he says. So in other words, if I will not forgive someone else, however difficult it might be, however much faith it may require for me to step out and forgive, if I will not forgive somebody else's trespass against me, neither will God forgive me no matter how much I argue he will. Exactly right. That's, mm. that's correct. Now that yeah. means let, let's let's take that to its logical extension. That means that if I was walking with the Lord for twenty years, thirty years, and somebody offended me horribly, maybe they raped me, maybe they murdered my son, maybe they did this, that, or the other, and I refuse to forgive, I'm not getting into the kingdom, no matter how much confession I made. And it is really, really hard when somebody has wronged us and and betrayed us, and and it is very hard to oh, yeah. forgive. However, it's absolutely. We, but we've got to remember that we betrayed our heavenly Father. Mm. We were unfaithful to Him. We did not do uh, live up to 
our end of the bargain, and in fact, we were enemies. And if he can forgive an enemy, how much more should we be able to forgive others? Mm. But it may take an act of faith. In fact, everything is of faith, isn't it, for the Christian? It, it is. And, you know, I won't have to unpack all this, but I could not forgive my father when I was about 21 to save my life, and mm. I became a Christian. And I promise I could tell you where I was sitting. I thought, number one, if I don't forgive my dad, then I still am allowing him to have control over me. And number two, I've been forgiven of so much. How could I not forgive him? And Chuck, I promise you, it was a miracle that bitterness and, and hatred, I hate to say, was gone. It disappeared. And here's how I knew. The next day when I told him I forgave him, he said, what have I ever done wrong? And it was like water off a duck's back. It was okay. Because I said, that's all right. I forgive him. And we had a sweet relationship from that point forward. All right. Which, which means that if we will step out by faith to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer, no matter how difficult it may seem at the moment, no matter how much I might justify myself in my own desire to believe this or that or not to believe this or that, if I will step out by faith, God, I have to make the choice, and then God, by his Spirit, will help me make the necessary changes, and that's what conversion is all about, isn't it? It is, because what is impossible with you and me, with man, is possible with him. It's not possible, humanly, for us to forgive somebody who's wronged us, or to step out in faith, or to take a new job. And that's when we go to the Father and say, Father, this is not possible for me, but I know it's possible for you. Can you please help, assist, work in such a way that I can't? Now, I'm going to take this another route just uh, now. And uh, the Apostle Peter spoke directly concerning things that the Apostle Paul wrote. And he said There are some things that the Apostle Paul wrote that are difficult to be understood and people are misapplying. Now, Peter said that. (laughs) So was he telling us that the Apostle Paul spoke incorrectly or was he saying you don't understand what Paul was saying and I understand why you don't understand it and it is difficult but nevertheless, it's true. What was he saying there? He was saying that real human beings wrote Scripture with feelings, with emotions, with uh, cognitive you know, faculties that sometimes had a hard time understanding something. Mm-hmm. That, so we see Peter's humanity. We see Paul's humanity. In the same token, Paul had to go confront Peter. Isn't and, that interesting? And, it, it is. And so we see the humanity coming out, but you stated it perfectly. At the end of the day, Peter's saying, however, we do trust all of Scripture. We trust what he said. He's just being honest, making an honest assessment that some of it's not super palatable. It's kind of hard. All right. Next question. When the Apostle Paul wrote, or was it Paul or Peter? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction and righteousness and so on, that the man of God may be made perfect, thoroughly furnished for every good work. 
What scripture was he referring to? Be careful now. Okay. Oh, I got you. Okay, yep. I was going along with my verse that says good, acceptable, and perfect. I always remember because of gap. Okay. He's talking about the Old Testament. That's right. So the scripture that the apostles and Jesus talked about was not the New Testament. It was the Old Testament, the, the Torah, the Tanakh, the Law, and the Prophets. And so today, to hear a pastor say we need to unhitch from the Old Testament, whoa, hold on, wait a minute. You talk about heresy. Yes, Jesus, just in Matthew's Gospel, 61 times, he fulfilled, he fulfilled. It's all about a continuation of what God began in the Old Testament. Right. It's not a clean break. Okay, question then. The next question, logical question is, is the New Testament then equivalent to the Old Testament in biblical authority? Be careful. Absolutely. Okay, is it equivalent one hundred percent, because all scripture means from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Are there some differences and similarities that play themselves out? Absolutely, but the red letter Bibles, Jesus' words were not more authoritative than Paul's. They are a hundred percent means a hundred percent. In other words, a third of the New Testament is actually quoting the Old Testament. Okay, sure. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So. When we're looking at this, we're our desire, and I think this goes to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is really our hearts, and it always is. If I am looking for what I call loophole Christianity, if that's my mind and heart set, and I'm looking for ways to avert or ignore or whatever passages of the Scripture, Old or New Testament, that I don't like, then I'm going to be prone to adopt some version of, well, I'm not going to agree that the Bible is absolutely true, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to take issue with those things, but I'm still a follower of the Lord. That bothers me because it's revealing my heart. My heart is not willing to submit to the authority of God's word. In fact, quite frankly, I'm giving place to the devil, and I think that's what Jesus' brother had in mind when he said, look, you uh, submit to God and then resist the devil. What we want to do is resist the devil, and we don't want to submit to God. What do you think? A hundred percent. And, you know, I have to give Thomas Jefferson credit in this respect. Uh, what you just described is somebody copying and pasting or doing theological <laughs> gymnastics. It, at least Thomas Jefferson went on record and said he didn't believe anything miraculous, and he copied and pasted a Bible to his own liking. Now, of course, we think that's silly. We think that's absurd. But he owned up to what he believes. We've got people in pulpits that say everything but that, but they might as well just be honest and say, you know what? I'm going to copy and paste my own version of Scripture because I sure don't accept this over here. I don't accept that. I do accept this. I mean, at least be honest. Exactly. At least be honest. Let's be men and women of integrity. Interestingly, you know, we give a lot of kudos to a fellow by the name of Billy Graham. And one thing I remember is he always said, the Bible says, the Bible says, 
the Bible says. Now, friend, what does the Bible say? What does it say about the issues that trouble you? What does it say about the issues that trouble uh, Americans today? What does it say? I mean, even Billy Graham had to come into uh, really conflict with the Scripture. Here's what happened. He was on Larry King Live. I remember seeing it live, and Larry King asked Billy Graham, well, Billy, uh, you have such monumental success. Uh, Surely there isn't anything that troubles you uh, about your ministry and so on. And here's what Billy said. He said, well, Billy, that's not uh, Larry, that's not true. He said, God told us to make disciples, and I've been doing a lot of evangelizing, but I've not done much with discipleship. Mm, mm, mm. Failure to disciple has been the downfall of American Christianity for 60 years, friends. 60 years. Failure to disciple. You know what failure to what discipleship means? It means teaching people to obey everything that God has commanded. So tell me, George, why has the word obey, which Jesus said is the only way to please him and the Father, why has it fallen on such hard times that pastors have told me on this program it's the most hated word in the church? It is but I think things are changing. Okay. I was a senior at college, and he sent me a verse saying people all over campus, public campus, are repenting and obeying Scripture. Well, there we go. Repenting is the most positive word in the Bible. (laughs) The inerrancy of Scripture, friends. It's a small book, but it will challenge you. Maybe we ought to read it. You might want to listen to this program even again, because this is a very important issue. $12 will put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. You can call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. You can write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. God bless you. Be a blessing, my friends. Let's come into alignment with God and His Word. It doesn't return void if we receive it. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.